today is that our good friends Keith and Michelle are here from the UK. They're right here. You guys want to say hello? Um, and Keith leads a church in Kingsgate, Kingston, called Kingsgate. Uh, and they have uh, their story is kind of similar to ours. They've got four churches, and Keith's one of the primary teachers and leaders there. Um, but we got to know each other through uh, the Genesis Collective. Ten years ago, like Greg said, we started Anthem Church, and there were a number of things that now are have come to fruition that we would have never thought when we originally started this thing ten years ago. And one of them was developing global partners around the world who are concerned with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And by God's grace... This family is one that we've come to know and fall in love with. They actually spoke into us during our sabbatical and really uh, have been relatively formative uh, in our Anthem's existence as well. They are making deposits into us as well. And so we've invited them. They're here for our anniversary and for our, we have a conference that we do every year uh, coming up this week. And we're so thrilled that they're here. So would you guys welcome Keith on up with me? <clears throat> And with that, I'm going to pray over Keith, and then we're going to get going. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for the relationships that you've cultivated that have not been random, but have been designed and orchestrated by you. Thank you for how your spirit moves and draws us together so that we might together exalt and glorify you, King Jesus. Lord, right now we pray over Keith. We ask that you would through him, through your spirit, uh, and we look forward to uh, what you have in store for us this morning. So we also, we present ourselves to you. Say, Lord, would you teach us? And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, as Kevin said, my name is Keith uh, and my wife, Michelle. And uh, we live in a place called Kingston, which is in the greater London area. So it's a little bit like, uh, um, you know, Thousand Oaks is to L.A. That's kind of what it is like for us. I'll just share a little bit about us before I go into the message. Uh, my wife and I originally were born in South Africa, grew up there. My dad was British, and uh, in 1995, uh, we relocated, or well, we actually went to move to the, 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 U, the UK for two years, and uh, ended up staying for 24. That's what happens. You know, you have your plans, and God has other plans, and uh, his plans are better than ours. So we've been there 24 years now. Um, I'm Originally, before I went into the ministry, I was a, what you guys would call a CPA, um, Chartered Accountant, and I worked in investment banking before I left that to go full-time in the ministry. And in 2011, Michelle and myself uh, took over the leadership of Kingsgate, which is um, like your equivalent of Anthem, and we have uh, four churches meeting over southwest London. And um, it is a great privilege to be here. Uh, I do love America, and um, I've had the blessing of having traveled here quite a bit, and I worked for a bit uh, in New York, so I do love the space, and I said to um, Ryan and Trisha, we stayed with them, you would know Ryan and Trisha from um, Thousand Oaks, and uh, I said, there's a little part of uh, my heart is here in America, it's like my part of my home, so I always feel like I'm coming back a little bit, so it's great to be here, and also just to say, Kevin and Keely, thank you for given me the opportunity to, to speak this morning because I, I always regard it as a great privilege to be able to preach in, in a pulpit and uh, the context. So what I'm going to do today is slightly different. Uh, I love exegetical preaching. Take a text and you go through it. And I know you guys have been going through 1 Corinthians or just finishing 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians soon. I think it's brilliant. We've just been doing 
something similar with Ephesians at our church, but I'm not going to be preaching exegetically today. I'm actually going to tell you stories, uh, a little bit about our journey as a church over the last little while. Um, And particularly, I want to talk about learning to love your city. And um, one of the things that Kevin has mentioned to me is his desire, your desire, to increasingly learn to love and to really love the city where you're placed. And, And I want to share a little bit about that. Now, I understand that my context, being the United Kingdom, is quite different to California. We speak the same language, uh, but America and Britain are quite different. And uh, the challenges facing us, and in particular our context, might not be absolutely applicable to you in every way, but I'm hoping that as I share our story, there'll be a couple of things which you'll take away, maybe inspire, give you confidence and courage um, and challenge. Does that sound good? Yeah, you, well, you've got to say yes, don't you? I, mean, that, I always think it's a bit of a redundant thing to say as a pastor. Do you, is this good? Yes, it's good. So anyway, uh, well, no one's going to say, no, I think it's terrible, Keith. Sit down. But anyway, so uh, all right. So a couple of years ago, I was praying in our auditorium at church. And uh, one of the th- as I was praying, this question kept on coming to my mind. What would happen if um, we in Kingsgate closed the doors? shut up shop and just left, would actually anyone miss us? Would, would the city miss us where we're placed? And uh, the, the, the sobering answer to that was no. I mean, the, the, the guys, I mean, obviously there would be the guys who were coming to church and were calling Kingsgate home, they would miss gathering together because we had wonderful meetings and uh, I, I felt uh, good preaching um, and uh, great worship. And a strong sense of community with one another. Uh, but the, the city wouldn't have missed us. The other churches would have missed us because we were building good friendship with the other churches, which was good. But um, as for the, the council, the, the businesses, the universities, the hospitals, the schools, not so much. And that disturbed me greatly. It disturbed me the idea that a, a, a people of God can be in, in a particular place and not be known. Because when I go to scripture, the story I see through scripture is that wherever God's people are, wherever the presence of God is, there's an impact. Um, You see that in the the story of the patriarchs. You see Abraham and and Isaac are blessed and people are aware of it. And then you get the story of Jacob and Laban. And Laban's a dodgy fella, as we say in England. And uh, he's a dodgy fellow, but he knew that there was something about the blessing on Jacob. Here's God's man, and God's blessing is on him. And I just want you around, because where God's blessing is on a people, it has an impact. And, and I want to, to benefit from it. And then you see that with Joseph in Egypt. You see that with Daniel in Babylon, where God's people are, where the, the presence of God is in some way, there's an impact. And then there's a story in, the, in Samuel about um, David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He makes it, but does something wrong. They got the wrong guys to carry it. Whatever it was, it didn't go well. People die, collateral damage. What are we going to do with the ark? You may be familiar with the story. And so they leave it at a place, at a man's house called Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is the the man who suddenly has this ark, the presence of God effectively in 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 his household. And he stewards the presence of God well. And what happens is that there just becomes this blessing that takes place in his house as a result of the presence of God being there. When you go through the, the New Testament, you see, even though the church is small, um, in Thessalonica, they, uh, Paul goes to preach the gospel. 
It's only three weeks he's in Thessalonica preaching the gospel. And while he's there, there's opposition that comes to him. And these people come and they stay before the rulers of Thessalonica. They say, stop these people because they're turning the world upside down. The small church, the small community at the time, but filled with the presence of God, we are a people who turn things upside down. We go to, the, to Ephesus. Um, Ephesus, again, the church would not have been huge in Ephesus at the time, but such is the impact in Ephesus that people, and, and uh, there was a huge culture of magic in, in, in Ephesus at the time, the, the, such is the impact of the church that people are burning their, their, their uh, magic uh, manuscripts and, and all these kinds of documents in relation to magic. And there's a threat on the economy because of the presence of God in a small group of people. You've been going through 1 Corinthians, and it says in 1 Corinthians twice, one in relation to us as individuals and in another place in relation to us as the church. It says that you are the temple of God. And in Jewish culture, the temple was the place where heaven meets earth. And that means, as mind-blowing as it is, and you should really be amazed at this. So if there's jaw-dropping and just gasps when I say it, I, I fully understand, is that that means that you are the place where heaven meets earth. And in this city, Camarillo, this is a place where heaven meets earth in this context. And that's got to have an impact. That's got to have an impact. In the UK, uh, as I said, the UK and the US are different, and I think the church in the US has certain challenges um, as, as to how it's perceived, and we in the UK do. But, but the challenge that we face is that for the most people in the UK, their, their thoughts about the, the churches, it's just, it's just got no power. It's, it's irrelevant. It's a nice little thing we do, and it's part of the culture of who we are, but you know, it doesn't really have power. How wrong is that? When you read, again, my mind's in Ephesians a lot because we've been preaching through it, and you, you read towards the end of chapter 1, and Paul speaks about the, the church, and he says the power that raised Christ from the dead is alive and part of us, in, our, in us. We are more powerful than we can begin to imagine. Two things from Ephesians. We're more powerful and we're more loved than we can begin to imagine. And Paul, in Ephesians, runs out of adjectives. He runs out of superlatives of heart to say how much love and how much power there is in us. And with that in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, where the church of God is, there should be an impact. You see, the gospel is powerful to change individual lives, but it's also powerful to change communities. It's powerful to change cities. It's powerful to change a whole raft of social injustice and whatever else it might be. We carry the kingdom of God with us. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are, a, in, in some sense, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a people of the future. The Holy Spirit has an, what, they, what the theologians say call an eschatological uh, dimension. Eschatological means future times. With the Holy Spirit when he is in our midst, it means that something of the future reality of the kingdom of God is present in our current world because of us. And that means we as the church live as a signpost to the future. We live as a signpost to another reality which is different from greed, selfishness, lust, 
manipulation and the whole raft of other things that we stand as a signpost and a beacon in our communities. That is what God's intention is for the church. You know, that's wonderful about the gospel is so much more than God has forgiven my sins and I'm going to heaven. I am incredibly thankful that my sins are forgiven. Every day I'm thankful for the grace of God because as a pastor, like any other human being, I need as much grace as you. And I'm very, very thankful. But it's not there, that's not the end game of it. We, we, our sins are forgiven and we are brought into a relationship with God so that we would know him. And in our knowledge of him, we would be transformational to the world around us. We have God living inside of us. And that's got to change things. And one of the other passages which really struck me, if you can put that text up, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. And I'll read it for you. Um, I should have it open ready just to rock and roll, but I don't. And now I've got to find it. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. This is an incredible promise. If this is familiar to you, that's not a surprise because Paul, the apostle Paul, writing in the book of Galatians, says this is the gospel preached in advance. Before Jesus came to this earth and, demonstrated, and, we, and we read the gospels, the gospel was preached beforehand, and this is God's preaching it to Abraham. It's an incredible promise. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And if you go back, to, if you go to the book of Galatians, or the letter to Galatians, you'll see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, that Paul says, this promise is now our promise because we are in Christ. This is our promise. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing and all the world will be blessed through you. That is God's intention. And when I read this passage and I, and I read Genesis 1 to 12, verse 1 to 4, I look at it and I think there's a bigness about it. It's not a small little me and my world gospel. There's a bigness about it. It's about the nations. It's about beyond me. It's about transformation. It's about power. Not power, let me just say, not power like our world thinks of power, dominating, but a completely different paradigm of power. Maybe sometimes power like dying on a cross. Anyway. So, with this passion in my heart and my prayer feeling unfulfilled, we went through a process of trying to reposition our church to being more outward focused. As I said, we had great meetings. Um, we had a, a good history. Um, there was many positives for us. And um, we were doing things to impact or to, to reach out to the community. We were doing mums and toss groups. And that was good, but it was more like that's a thing we do rather than a posture of our heart. And what I was wanting to turn turn us around and say, guys, I want us to, to get our eyes off ourselves and begin, to, and begin to really see the world around us, get to know them, get to look at them, get to love them, and, and to be able to serve them. 
to change our posture rather than doing a few things, change our heart towards the world around us. So we went through this process of repositioning ourselves. And one of the things we did was we planted a number of communities. So now we are four communities. And part of that process of planting those communities uh, was we wanted to, um, what we were getting is we were getting a lot of people coming to our, our single location in Kingston from all over the space. But they would come to our meetings and then go back to their spots and not know anyone where they were. And we thought, well, that's crazy. So what we did is we began to plant communities in the areas where we had a, a um, momentum of people. Um, as the guy who, is le- who leads the church and went through that process, um, I can tell you it was not a perfect process. It was messy. And um, certainly when I look at, you know, it's a, I look at myself and I think there were some things I should I could have done better, misread the situation of certain things. But by the end, well not, not that it's by the end because we're still in the process of doing it, but two years on, or a couple of years on now, as we look at the church, the whole posture has changed. We have got, um, and I'll just mention a couple of the things that we're doing, um, but just to say, uh, before I, I mention some of the specifics, and I find my notes, is that um, the demographic of our church has changed substantially, both in culture, um, economically. We are very, very diverse, which I love. I think it's an amazing thing. Because, you know, if you're all the same, it's not a church, it's a club. I mean, I, I can, I can uh, go to a cricket club. I play cricket. It's the, I don't know if you know cricket. It's a sport they play in heaven. Um, <laughs> it is the best sport, yep. Uh, and... Uh, Anyway, I can go to my cricket club. We all like cricket. I mean, it's easy to get on. But when you're all different and you don't have the same interests and it's difficult to get on, that's a miracle. That's the gospel. When you don't have the same interests and you're not all from the same backgrounds and you don't all have the same perspectives. Anyway, we've got a great, de- we've got a great de- de- demographic of people. Um, we're having more non-Christians into our context than we've ever had before. We are interacting with the community, the council, businesses, police, hospitals, schools in our area like we've never had before. And here's the beautiful thing for me which makes me so happy. Despite all the mess and the difficulty, we found ourselves in a place where I can say say to you now, we're not finished and there's still work to do, but if we had to leave, we'd be missed. Uh, the, the, The council looks at us and the community looks at us and they say, you're making a difference. You're relevant. We We'd miss you if you were gone. And that makes me happy. Not because I'm insecure and I feel I want to be loved. That's, maybe I do. But the, but the bigger thing is I feel that's what the gospel should be about. When we have community and uh, uh, churches and community in, in, our, in our cities and in our nations, there should be an impact. So one of the things we've done, just give you a few little examples. We've um, started something called community choirs. And what happened here is it kind of God created this opportunity and we ran with it. So a big thing, in, in, uh, not a, an increasingly big thing in the, in the UK is these ideas of community choirs. This lady came to join the church, lovely woman. She was starting this choir, um, these community choirs. We said, hey, use our facility. We'll get behind you. We love what you're doing. So she started a community choir on a Monday evening. It was a gospel choir. Most of the people coming non-Christians, but they come to our building and sing gospel songs, which I'm very happy about. Now we've got eight choirs that are taking place in the church. One of them is for women, if you call the sisterhood choir, 
and it's for women who've been through domestic abuse, violence, and a whole raft of other horrible things. And they come on a Monday, on a Friday morning, and they sing. Then we've got a homeless choir for people who've been on, living on the streets or, or who do live on the streets. We've got um, uh, choirs that meet in old age homes. We've got choirs with, with, with children, and there's more that we have on the cards. But the bottom line is, we've got these, and it's been transformational. We've, the, the number of people now who are engaging with us because we are serving in this, in this way. Um, one of the things which came off the back of this is two of the ladies who come to the choir, um, the Sisterhood Choir on the Friday, not Christians, um, but they said to me, we really like what you're doing here. What we want to do is do something once a month where we will actually want to do beauty treatments for women who are living on the streets uh, to do pedicures, manicures, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, now, you know, part of you think, well, have they signed up? Are they, uh, you know, have they on the, on the church register? I don't know. And to be honest with you, if I'm honest, I don't care. They are on a journey in our midst, and they wanting to um, serve the community, and uh, they want to do it under the Kingsgate banner. So what we've got is we've got two ladies who are who've not saved yet, doing a ministry for Kingsgate to homeless people, uh, a homeless women, and it's a beautiful ministry. They don't actually even realize that they're demonstrating the love of Jesus to these people. And uh, the community's loving it, so the, the, the businesses, some significant businesses in our area, are giving us money. Um, the the other thing, actually, I must mention as well, is that the, with mental health, one of the things that they say is one of the biggest antidotes for mental health is companionship. And so there's a group that's been organized in Kingston, secular group in Kingston. They're seeing what's taking place, the choirs, with us, the Sisterhood Sanctuary, and with a number of other initiatives we're taking place. And they say, we want to actually send people to you because we see the benefit that you're doing with community, and we'd like to actually push people uh, who are going struggling with issues into your space. So we've got a secular group now sending people to church. Amen. I'm happy with that. And then uh, the other thing is there's a, there's a college in just down the drag from us, so as Thousand Oaks is to this city. And they say, you know, there's people doing psychology and they're studying the impact of music on people's mental health. Can we send some of our students to your choirs just to observe what's going on and participate in what's going on? Yes, bring them along. Is another city, which is nearby, uh, I'm trying to, trying to use my references, we call them boroughs, you call them cities, and they're a lot smaller than your cities. Um, but another, say again, like Thousand Oaks, there's another group there said, actually, we've got some people we would like to, um, we really see the benefit of these choirs, can we actually bus some people to your church? We will pay you for the benefit of doing that, and uh, if you can just, they can just sing gospel songs, because we really love what you're doing with this. I'm saying, yes, we were very happily get you to send your people to sing gospel songs, and let's see what God does with them. Um, we also have a thing called the Middle Eastern, uh, the MENA ladies, Middle Eastern and North African ladies. It's a Muslim group. Now, the Muslim group wants to, they, they said, okay, um, can we use your facility? Because we, we really are working with women to try and, uh, women coming in from Syria, from you know, war-torn areas, and we want to create an opportunity to acclimatize them to Western culture. And uh, yeah, we said, sure, that's no problem. You can come in and uh, use our facility. We've got a great relationship with this Muslim group who meet in our facility. They cook meals on a Wednesday, and they, I said, uh, I was mentioning earlier in the, early, in the earlier message, that uh, I'm sitting in my office, and there's a Muslim lady coming with a meal that she's made for me, knocking on my door, giving me 
I said, this is great. Here's a pastor receiving a meal from someone cooking, this Muslim lady in a burqa. I said, who could have made this up? It's brilliant. So, but I just, the bottom line is that we having access to these people. We building a bridge. There's power in the gospel. The problem is we don't have a bridge with people. And building that bridge has been so powerful. You know, the, and I don't know what it's like in the, UK, in the US, but in the UK, um, expecting the people out there to flood into our Sunday meetings is, is fantasy land. We, that's for us. I'm not saying it's for you guys, but for us. We need to go out there and show them a different picture of church. One which is not judgmental, one which loves unconditionally, and create that bridge. Now the suspicion barriers are breaking down, and now we're getting people coming into the church. One of the, the values that we have put out is this idea we want to love people without an agenda. Because uh, we don't, so it's kind of a big thing for us. We don't want to love you so that you become a Christian. We don't want to love you uh, with any strings attached. We don't want to love you, and we will love you even if you never make a decision for Jesus. Because so much of this world is all with an agenda. What do you want? What can I get out of you? Why are you doing this? Why are you being so nice to me? And we want to break that mindset. And you know, it's amazing when you begin to love people in that way, what God does to them. We've got, we had seven people baptized about three weeks ago. And I'm, also, so I'm not saying we never preach the gospel or there's no place for it. But what I'm trying to put out here is just the power of loving people without strings attached. I, so I love the gospel presentations and I think it's, but I'm just, just want to clarify and caveat myself here. But the, the amazing thing is that these, the choirs, we, we, we don't in any way in the choirs say, okay, now the singing's finished, can you please sit down for five minutes while we share the gospel with you? We don't do that. They're singing gospel songs. They don't even realize they're prophesying over themselves about the love of God and how amazing he is. But what happens is that over time, they start asking us questions. I, I, you know, I used to go to church and this thing about Jesus, and then they start doing an alpha course. And we had seven baptisms three weeks ago. Five of them were directly related to the choirs, people who began to ask questions, and we were able to talk to them about the love of Jesus. And their salvations are genuine. I mean, the, the, the transformation is amazing. But loving people without an agenda is such a powerful thing. One of the other things we did was we used to go and hand out sausage, because uh, we were in a bit of a clubbing area. Uh, there's a lot of um, clubs uh, in our space, and um, they, uh, we went out and we decided what we're going to do is we're going to, what, what do you people do after they've had too much to drink at two o'clock in the morning? So obviously because we led incredibly pure lives, we had no idea, and we were wondering, and we had to seek God to find out what we needed to do. What, what do drunk people do? And then we remembered in a dim distant past when we were at university, and uh, we said what they like is they like something spicy and they like water. So what we're going to do is we're going to hand out bacon rolls and water for free. And so we went out on the streets, and uh, as the clubbers came out, we said, you want a bacon roll and a, and a glass of, and a bottle of water? Why? why? What, do what do you want? No, we just want it for free. Just give it to you for free just because we love you. It was like a mind bend for people. And then uh, we became known as those, uh, the, the bacon roll people. I mean, I would have wanted a better name, but hey, I'll go with the bacon roll people. But it's amazing the power of unconditional love in what we do. Uh, and we also do something called the Hope Lunch, which is a, a, hot, a hot meal that we put on for everybody um, on a Friday. And uh, it's been amazing. And actually an interesting thing with, with, with regards to that is we get a lot of people who are helping us with the Hope Lunch who are not Christians. And we're okay with that. 
Um, so we've got people who, who really like this idea. We love what you're doing. You, it's amazing. You're helping people who are in need and you're loving people. I don't want to go to the church thing, but I'll go to what you're doing there. And so what they've got involved and they're serving, but in that process, they're in our space. And they're starting to hopefully, by God's grace, see maybe a different paradigm to what church is about. And slowly, slowly, the questions begin to come. And barriers are broken down. And we're starting to see things happen in that, in that regard. Um, so I'm, I'm already jumping around a little bit, but what I wanted to just share is some of the other lessons that we learned in this process. Um, one of the lessons that we learned was the importance of unity. Because when, we when I went to this process of, of, of uh, trying to change the posture of us as a church from being inward to outward, um, it was messy and it wasn't perfect. And um, as change is difficult. And uh, we'd, we'd had a very comfortable church. Things, you know, we'd have, you know, things were going really well. Why change it? Why make it more difficult? Why make it a bit more messy and, and inconvenient? And uh, so what happened um, is we had some relational difficulties on our leadership team as a church. Um, but we had to work through it because that's what you do. You don't just want to say you don't run from relational difficulties. <laughs> you, you face up to them, you deal with them, and, and, and God works with you. And by God's grace, we got through it, and, and it's been an amazing process. We're stronger now than we were. It's like a muscle, isn't it? Sometimes when you go to gym, you tear a muscle, but it comes back stronger. And it's a little bit like where we were. But the amazing thing is when we had dealt with those issues and our unity was in a better place, it was practically at that time that we started getting breakthrough in the community. Because I think sometimes God trusts, I think God, he, he trusts a community which is united to make an impact in the world around it. And, um, and, and, as, and, and when you're going to be doing something like this into the world around you, it's important that we do it together. It's not about one person, but it's about we own the vision that we believe that God is powerful and able to work through us. All right, how much longer have I got? Um, 10, I see 10 fingers, which is good. Is that 12 or 10 and two thumbs up? Okay, 10, 10, okay, there we go. All right, the other thing which we had to do was letting go. If you look at the passage in, in Genesis chapter 12, it says that um, Abraham was to, had to leave something behind. He had to leave his family and what he was familiar with in order to lay hold of the new inheritance that God had for him. And that is the case with us. So often in the promises that God has for us, it requires us letting go of something else in order to grab the new things that God has. Even things which have been good and valid and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them. So one of the things for us which was a challenge was when we began to multiply our communities, one of the impacts of multiplying our communities is, is that we'd all been together, had all these very strong relationships, and it was so nice and comfy like a duvet. And we were there, and we knew each other, and we knew the, sang the songs with gusto together, and it was just like, oh, warm. And then what we said is, okay, now we're going to, we're going to um, move out now. We're going to go and, 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 and get out and, and plant different communities. And the result of that is some of those relationships change. In fact, a lot of the, the established, old, uh, not older in age, but just those that have been around longer, went out to the different communities. And suddenly, the kickback was, this doesn't feel like my church anymore. You know, I used to come to church on a Sunday, and I had people to talk to and all of that kind of stuff. And and. and and it's a real thing. It's a real thing because community is such an important thing. And what I had to, but what I had to say is it was never your church. 
It's, it's, it's God's church, and we exist for others. And actually what's happened is because some of those relationships, they're still there, but they're just not all meeting together on a Sunday, what it means is that there is more capacity and scope to welcome other people into those relationships. So for us, and I'm not saying this is a situation for you guys, but for us, one of the things that challenges for us is we had to be happy to let go of the way we did things and the comfort of our church. Comfort, eh, it's a deceptive thing. We like comfort. We like that duvet. And we had to let go of those things in order to gain the new things that God had for us. We also, you know, because I mean, you know, one of the things as well with, with one of the other lessons that we learned with this is that this, when you start loving the community, things get messy because you want to have everything neat. This is the way we've done, always done church. We've done church like this and we do these things. And then you get a whole lot of other people coming, hopefully other people coming into your community. You've got no Christian frame of reference to what you do and why you do things. And, um, you are, and when you start interacting with the community, suddenly you are, so let me give you an example why it gets a bit messy. There, you may, we, we may have like a Christian paradigm of, of the way things should, should work. The Muslim group joins us. My fellow pastor, Paul, walks into our auditorium and there's a number of the, the Muslim ladies are praying on their prayer mats in, in our auditorium. That could freak some of our people out in our church because, you know, what's happened in the, in the church, the sanctuary. I'm saying that's no, a building. God, the church is the people. And you know what? Um, we're praying that they're going to change where those prayers are going. Um, and so suddenly your, things that you may be uncomfortable with, you need to, I'm not talking about compromising the va deep values. I'm not talking about compromising deep values. But what I am saying is you've got to start, you, what you, you start running is what are the real essentials and what are the things that I can be a bit more open-handed with. And things get a little bit more messy like that. The other thing for me is, um, did I explain that all right, Mitch? Did that come across Okay. Okay, just checking this, my check. Um, do you do the same, Kevin? Do you check? You're right. Um, anyway, so, and the other thing is, I mean, like, we had some of the people coming into, uh, minister, uh, I was ministering on a Sunday, and there was a couple of guys that were coming, some of them were, like, homeless guys, and some of them were drunk, and I'd be ministering, and the guys would just start swearing, like, the, you know, like, the bad words. Hey, what about the beep beeping Syrians, and what, what are you doing about that? Thank you. Thanks. Can I answer that question later? Thank you. And, uh, and you just learn to roll. Like, but I think, you know, I'd rather have them in my context. And one of the things that we, and again, it's not perfect, but one of the things that we're getting good at it or getting better at as a church is saying is the broader community is happy with the mess, but it gets messy. It's inconvenient um, because we're happy with all our things the way they've always been. But one of the lessons we've learned is that things get inconvenient. Um, the other thing, just a couple of things, to ask, two things to mention is one of the things that really helped us is giving away something. We, we asked ourselves, what can we give away? And for us, we're very blessed. We've got a lovely venue, and we thought we're going to give our venue away. Now, we didn't literally give our venue away in the sense of um, selling it, but what we did is we're going to use it for other people. And so we've got three um, priorities with how we use our venue and it's in this order the top priority is is this venue how can we use this venue as much as we can to love this community the second value is how much can we 
It's the second value is, can we use this community to see this church grow? And the third one is, can we use this, this venue in order to help us with our finances? But that is the order. So we could have somebody come along and say, we want to use your venue and we're going to pay you X amount of money. But if it doesn't flow into the primary thing of sort of saying, actually, it's going to hinder us from using it for the community, we're not interested. Because the main thing is we want to use this venue for our community. Now, for us, it's the building. But for you, as you look at trying to engage more with your city around you, there may be what is in your hand, as God said to Moses. What's in your hand? What is the, the thing you have? It might not be a physical thing. It might be a talent base or a skill set that you have, which you could say, actually, we can offer people this training. That's the way we could love this community. So what is in your hand to give away something that you have? And before I, um, I finish, most probably my um, second to, to last point is um, learning to partner with the people in our community. Sometimes as Christians, we can feel the need to be the ones who uh, have only, are the only ones who have something to give and, um, and, 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 and nervous of partnering with other people and other organizations. And our approach is not to assume that we can change our city on our own, that we know the people quite, that we know the people quite different to us also love the, love the city and their work is genuine and effective. And we build relationships and work together with them. And um, so we had, as I mentioned, the Hope Lunch. You know, the MENA ladies, the, 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 these North African ladies, they came along and uh, loving us so much. And our lift was causing us problems, my lift. If you could keep something in your continual prayer list for the next year, just pray for our lift. Just had a doubt, elevator, elevator, yeah, sorry, elevator. Just keep on praying for our elevator. It's just like, it's like I possessed. No, I'm not shouldn't say that. But um, it's just it's causing me problems. So just pray for that elevator. Anyway, but the MENA ladies... This group, Muslim group, come and say, hey, listen, we'd actually, we can organize a grant from you from the council for 4,000 pounds to get your elevator sorted. So we say, brilliant, will you help us with this? And I think it's brilliant. You know, when you say to somebody, can you help me? It gives them dignity. It says, actually, you know what? We're not patronizing. We work. It, 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 it changes the dimension of a relationship. If Jesus could say to the lady at the well, can you help me? I actually don't think it's a bad thing for churches to say, hey, can you help you? Can we partner with this? You maybe know this better than we do. It really revolutionizes the way people engage with church and expect our relationship to work. So those are some of the lessons that um, we've learned in this process. And um, you know, when we fail to look out, so for me, the whole thing is changing our posture to learning to love our city and indeed, take it beyond that, to love the nations. But the thing is to take our gaze from being so internally focused to being outwardly focused. Because when we become internally focused, we get two things. We get comfortable and we get really worried about the insignificant. I can't believe they've moved the tea to the other side of the auditorium. How could they do that? Or I can't believe they've, they've changed the offering boxes. What have they done? We get so preoccupied with the inconsequential and the silly, the more inward focused we are. But when we become outward focused, oh, that changes everything. And one of the things I said to our church was I said, a river, run, when a river is running, it, it stays healthy, it stays beautiful, it stays clear. But when it gets into a, when it stops running or it gets, yeah, it stops running. Give me stagnant, there we go, my autocue told me. The, the, uh, when, it, when it gets stagnant, that's when, it's, that's when all the disease and the problems begin to happen. 
And for us as a church, what I wanted to do is get our, uh, the river flowing again so that we have clear water. And the best way to do that is to change our posture to be focusing outward. So I hope this has been helpful and uh, you'll be able to take something from this, maybe for your own journey as you look to love the city where God has placed you. Thanks.